Global, sparking innovative thoughts. Hi, I'm Chawa Ratjumjaran on our You Can Call Me Poupay. I'm the global content editor for Texas Media. I caught up with Neil Cross at Texas Global Summit 2019. Now, Neil Cross is a person who has garnered great respect from both the startup and corporate worlds. He's literally been called the most disruptive chief innovation officer for his role in making DBS Bank recognized worldwide for its digitization agenda. People confuse innovation and technology or innovation and apps. And the fact that I could take, you know, the corporate innovation techniques and take them into a completely different world, which is, you know, building a hotel in the middle of the jungle and setting up an ecosystem to help save the orangutans really gave me the confidence that, you know, I could innovate anything. Is it because, like, you just had a realization that you just kind of, like, your time was... You, you just had enough of the finance sector? No, like? not at all. It's just I built this beautiful beach house and then every imagine every Sunday yeah. I'd have to leave there and then you know spend t- 12 hours traveling, go back to, to DBS and um, you know continue my work there. But I, I spent five years there. You know, we took mm-hmm. the innovation team from a table of three people into you know world-renowned corporate innovation center mm-hmm. with other 30 staff and, and you know labs around the Asia region and at the same time I, I co-founded my own fintech down in Australia so I wanted to try my hand at uh, you know building my own fintech company as well so I had a lot of things kind of come up at the same time one was you know I really loved this beautiful house I'd built on a beach and I could swim with the turtles every day and, and secondly I wanted to try and um, you know, build my own fintech company. And thirdly, I had a lot of people approach me, you know, I love solving problems and approach me from different industries around Asia and say, hey, can you come and do some problem solving for us? Maybe do some advisory work. And so they all come together. I thought, well, you know, five years is a good run. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's always good to leave on a high. And, yeah. you know, it's not as if I'm going to spend the rest of my life in one company anyway. You know, I've moved many times around the world. So I thought I'll take a leap of faith. Very scary. <laughs> leaving such a problem, you know, well, you know, a managing director role at bank is, is fairly well paid and, and just leaping off and, and going and doing something new. That's really funny because you said that you were afraid. This is something that usually would happen for people who are maybe in an earlier stage of their career. I mean, you're really well seasoned. You kind of, you could do anything. So. Well, you can, but, you, you know, as, as you get older, I think you get a little bit more... Uh, you like a bit more of the comforts of life, but not only me, I mean, I live in the jungle, but still it's, you know, it's a lot of, um, you know, it's a very high profile role and, and moving from there into, you know, a small fintech and, and running my, my foundation is, you know, less of a high profile role. And so I think with any change, it, you know, there's always a certain level of fear, but thankfully I'm a pretty brave person. But to your point earlier, you know, did I feel that there's only so much time in that? Absolutely, yeah. I can't understand people who, you know, I meet so many people and they say, oh, one day I'll do what you do, yeah. And I know that one day will never come for them, yeah. There is no one day. There is only today, yeah. There is no guarantees in life, yeah. There's no guarantees you're going to live to, you know, retirement at 65 or 70. There's no guarantees you'll be healthy enough to do something that you've always wanted to do. So my belief is always just do it now, yeah. Why, why, why you still can. 
in your opinion, uh, with your experience uh, on the current uh, corporate strategy that has been taken by companies, where do you think we are right now? We get confused. A lot of people are confused with all the noise out there, thinking technology is the problem solver. No, it isn't. Yeah. It's what solves problems is either business model innovation, pricing model innovation, distribution model innovation, and that's where we should be focusing. And, and so people are running too quickly to do stuff on tech without just sitting back and thinking, firstly, one, you know, have I got the right problem? I see so many people solving the wrong problem. Mm. Uh, or they solve the symptom of the problem. They don't mm. really under dig into the problem and really get to the core of the mechanic of the thing. Mm -hmm. So innovation for me is find the right problem, solve it in an elegant manner. Now, elegance doesn't mean it has to be beautiful, but it better not be ugly, better not be clunky. Yeah? And also don't over-engineer. You know, I see lots of startups using huge AI systems when they could have used four lines of code. Yeah, so you, when you say elegant, that means like, just make it simple. Yeah, keep it simple. I mean, if it's a complex one, it might be complex, but make it fit beautifully the problem you're trying to solve. Yeah, don't mm -hmm. over-engineer, don't overspend. Don't overfeature, uh, and the final thing, the final thing, it has to be successful. Do you think that maybe that's one of the biggest challenges for corporates um, or the traditional corporate way of thinking? Because like electricity, as you said, is not changing. The technology is ever changing. Yeah. And it's like on, like it's territory that's never been covered before. No, I don't think the problem. All this wave of digital disruption is not about technology. It, it, it's the single fact: unhappy customers. That's it, yeah. That they, that all companies, I feel, nearly all companies, have lost sight of the business they're in. They're only in one business. Whatever industry they're in, they're in one business, and that business is the business of solving their customers' problems. They've lost sight of that. They think they're in the business of selling products, yeah? Mm. Selling cars, selling credit cards, you know, monetizing their clients. No, they're wrong, yeah? The job of a bank, is to is, you know not to sell credit cards, loans, car loans, car insurance, um, you know health insurance, life insurance. No, not at all. Yeah, from a customer's perspective, a bank gives them their kids' education, so it gives them a savings fund. It helps them protect the people they love. It gives them life insurance. It solves their transport problems. It gives them a car loan, and so that was the problem. That other people have come in mm. and solve the customers' problems better, mm. and and that's what we're seeing. And so again. You know this whole thing around disruption. People are putting technology first, mm -hmm. when actually just go back to the basics. What problem are you meant to be solving as a business? And then the second thing really is uh, focus on your staff. Yeah, I mean look at the corporate world. Whoever involved, whoever invented corporate work should be shot. I mean really, uh, most people I talk to do a job they're uninspired with, some even hate it, mm -hmm. work with people they don't even like, mm -hmm. and get micromanaged by a boss they don't respect. <laughs> you know, it, it's madness. It's absolute madness. And who set this up? I just, want to, I just want to find them and tell them how unhappy I am with them. Guess what? We did it to ourselves. Yeah. Uh, and that's the madness of it, yeah. And that's the core things that need to change. Is it like a security blanket, do you think, that people cling to because it's safe? It's something that, you know, it's like, okay, we're used to the way things are. Oh, yeah, nobody wants to change. Yeah. Well, they do, but they just don't want the effort and the impact of what change really means. And also, you know, there's so many people that call themselves leaders when if they're managers, yeah? 
that you know if you if you really want to change things you have to have some level of bravery and actually it isn't tomorrow it's today you go out and make that a better place you know for the people who work with you I mean a good good uh, thing I talked about yesterday so imagine you've got a a say I'll use a bank term you know you've got a division in a bank credit card division yeah there's a thousand people in there and the boss at the top he says right we need a new credit card I've been in credit cards for 20 30 years um, and I know what we want we need these features but I'll go and check I'll talk to Visa and MasterCard because they're experts and yeah okay I know what features you want right you 999 of my staff go and execute this what a waste of 999 brains you know talking about the organization of, of the of the company usually mm. what I see from my experience which I'm not as much as yours but I mean it's like you either have the the top management wanting to do something and then the very innovative, let's say being a leader, true leadership, you know, like having exactly the thoughts that a leader should have, but then having problems getting their team or their company to, to go with it, you know. Mm. Or, or on the other hand, you have like, you know, innovators within the company, which has been talked a lot about at this summit, mm. but they, they have a struggle with the, mm. the entire company. Yeah, well, they get rejected by the organisation. So there's two points there. So firstly, the mistake the leaders make, again, it's that one concept I gave you. They're okay. the brain at the top mm -hmm. and they expect everyone to execute. No, no. Get your staff involved in the innovation design process. When I was at DBS, every year we'd take the team away and they would define the strategy. Even the intern would be feeding in. We'd get post-it notes, we'd come up with what worked well, what didn't work well, what got achieved this year. And the whole team would design the strategy. Mm. I mean, that, that seems to me like the operating model that every company should be using. Yeah? Because, of course, they bought in. And, and you see the same problem inside a company where an innovator is trying to operate. They go and invent something cool, and they take it into the business. And the business goes, well, I wasn't part of this, so why should I implement it? Mm. So you've got the same mechanic happening. Mm -hmm. um, also, you know, the job of an innovator is not to invent stuff. You know, I've never invented anything at DBS. Never the innovation group never invented anything. Mm. Our job was to turn the whole bank into the innovation group. Mm. So I'll give you an example. Uh, imagine, let's use a head of cards again. Um, so I used to run MasterCard Labs, so I know a little bit about credit cards. So imagine I spent a lot of time inventing an amazing credit card. Yeah. You know, really, really cool credit card. And then I took it to the head of credit cards and go, hey, look what I invented, we should do this. What do you think I've just told that person? They really don't know exactly what you mean. I'm better than them. Yeah, oh yeah. And they've done their job badly. Yes. And everyone's going to know. Yeah. So what happens? Of course, the head of cards makes sure that's never going in production. And then we'll start a long term strategy to discredit me. Mm. Human nature. Yeah, that's right. So as an innovator, you've got to be smart, yeah, mm. about how you get this stuff done. You just mm. can't build stuff and run around and show people all your little trinkets and stuff like that. That's not how to be successful at corporate innovation. You've got to really understand how people work and corporates work. I mean, the struggle that we have here in Thailand specifically is, I think, more of a, a different, like, uh, age, age difference. Uh, you know, the, there's a lot of respect in Thai culture for seniors, mm. and and 
and it seems like some some companies are changing, some are not. You know, if you're the new generation, you'd know like okay, this is traditional, which the majority is traditional, yeah. where you can't really, you know, talk up talk, to leaders, yeah. talk about new ideas. Yeah. Um, and if you do, or you get educated overseas, they see you as a like not true, disrespectful, truly disrespectful, and everything. Yeah, how yeah. how do you how because I think that's a big problem that we've seen in Thailand. Yeah. yeah. What is the solution for this? I mean, yeah, it's the same in Singapore as well to a lesser yeah. degree. It's the same in lots of Asian culture and the same in Western cultures. Not that long ago, mm. before they invented rock music. Um, <laughs> the, <laughs> but yeah, that's why you have to change your innovation processes, your new structures. Yeah. And that's why we do a lot of things with workshops and post-it notes that we don't know whose idea that was. So if they, if you know, in, individually you write a little idea, fragment on a post-it note, they go into the middle of the table, and they all get grouped together. You don't know who that was, and so you've got to cater your innovation programs and processes to suit that uh, culture like that. Mm -hmm. And then it's really, you know, is the leaders that need to encourage. Um, you know, the most junior people to be part of that. So you do things like reverse mentoring. But at the end of the day, um, there is a culture of micromanagement, and that is killing innovation. Mm -hmm. yeah. And also, it's not making life that enjoyable at work. Yes. Yeah, well, I, I don't understand it. If you hire someone that you need to micromanage, why did you hire them? You know, my thing is, you know, there's four things I give as a leader. One is protection, which means anything that happens for the people who work for me is my fault. So if somebody says, hey, you know, one of your team, blah, 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 blah. Okay, yeah, I'm sorry, it's my fault. Mm -hmm. I've had this conversation quite a few times with the leaders. No, Neil, I don't like you, it's fine, don't need to apologize. No, it's my fault. Yeah, and that's important, you need to create a safe place for them. Um, secondly is you need to give them freedom. Um, I've told my team, hey, if you can do your job in one, for the whole year in one day, please take the rest of the year off. Yeah? I joke, obviously they can't do it one day. <laughs> But the point is, there's some things I need you to do for the company, and the rest of the time, hey, invent some new programs, go check some startups, go learn some stuff, go to some conferences, yeah. Um, you know, I'm not your parent, you, you know. And uh, third is education, and teaching them skills you don't normally learn. Like I teach the innovation team sales skills, we teach them advertising, we teach them how kind of corporate politics works, that kind of stuff. Um, and the final thing is inspiration. And so, Everything you do, you should be aiming to be world-class, yeah? To find what's the best example of the thing you're trying to achieve in the world. So at least you know, you might not get there, but occasionally you will, and you will create something which gets recognized globally. How but do you keep people accountable if, if you know, you want to have, you know, there's the balance, right? Well, I, they write their own KPIs. So, <laughs> I, you know, that's one of the things. Well, you write their own KPIs. So you account yourself. The, the more you lead, the less you have to manage, I find. Because people self-manage. If they're inspired and they feel they're protected, they're educated, you know, and um, uh, you know, they, they trust their leader, they manage themselves. They account for themselves. It's when you micromanage them, you actually make the problem worse. Talking about accelerators, um, there's been an observation that it might not be the way to go in mm. terms of finding the right partnership between corporates and startups. Do you think that they're still worth it? Uh, it I mean, there's lots of variations of accelerators. It really depends. So if, you, if you're a corporate, 
who doesn't know anything about startups, doesn't have a startup team, sponsor an accelerator is a great way to get into it, yeah? And make sure you send some of your execs to spend time and coach the startups. It depends what you want of Accelerator. If you are just going there to find a new product for your business, mm -hmm. then you have lost so much of the potential value of that. We find the real value is executives spending time with startups, coaching them, learning their culture, how they think, how they operate, how they think about customers solving problems, and being part of a startup and VC community. That really is the real influence, you know, the real outcome. There's a lot you have to rewire in a corporate to make it successful work with startups because corporates will talk startups to death, you know, literally talk them to death. So yeah. startups go, oh great, this person from this bank's talking to me, oh this is our big opportunity, blah, 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 and it could go on for months and months and six months and, blah, blah, and they're burning cash, yeah, we're going to get this big deal, and they say, oh, you're going to buy, and the person from the bank's like, oh no, sorry, I was just learning, we don't even have a project. And so that's the issue, so you have to rewire you have to educate your corporate staff. One, you have to reduce their ego. That's the first thing. So the trouble is executives, like in the example, they, you know, a lot of the time they say, I know best. I know this industry. I've been doing it for 30 years. I know best. A startup's not going to know better than me. So you've got to reduce that ego down so they accept that the, the, um, you know, the solution to their problem is outside the company. That's the first thing. Secondly, you have to rewire whole parts of the company. Yeah? They used to take like nine months to onboard a startup. Um, you know, uh, we reduced that to eight weeks. So we had to, you know, create a fast track process through legal, compliance, risk, cybersecurity, technology. There's all these kind of hurdles they have to go through, and there's rules in procurement like you can't work with a company that doesn't make a profit. Well, that's half the startups. Second rule, you can't work with a company that's been in business less than two years. That's the other half of the startups. And, and so there's a, actually a lot, which a lot of these accelerators don't understand. So where is the Thai ecosystem at right now in terms of accelerators? And Not a great place. <laughs> no, I mean, and I, I say that because, I, you know, I'm, there's quite a few of us in the community that have some concern. Yeah? The funding's gone down. Let me look at Vietnam. Vietnam's skyrocketing in terms of inflow of funds. Thailand's actually receding. So I think there's a lot of, lot of great stops. There's a lot of people here trying to make it successful, but it just seems the money isn't coming in. Yeah, And um, a lot of the ideas here tend to be too local without a global kind of lens. Um, so, you know, events like this are critical. Now, I have full confidence. I know Thai people are incredibly innovative. I mean, some of the companies that are here, you know, are amazing. I know that Thai people are incredibly creative and very smart, but there needs to be more kind of structure, education, government support, all this kind of stuff to truly help accelerate the, the um, Thai startup community. It goes back to the main foundation of, of where it all starts. Um, is what, Okay. I think it's going okay. I just think the other countries <laughs> yeah, are doing to, better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm just, I'm trying to figure, I'm trying to, I, you know, I can't help but compare yeah. in terms of like, maybe is it the society, the culture, or is it is the government? <laughs> I don't want to get into politics, but like, maybe is, the, is it the way of thinking, the way of, do you, do you know the difference between like, let's say people in Vietnam and here in Thailand? Or the way that they, they view things because obviously 
you you are right. There is a lot of inwards, you know, look looking in, inwards into the the market. Ties tend to not want to go overseas, even though we hear a lot of people well, talking about that. Well, probably because you get so many overseas people coming over here. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I don't want to go to where they come from. Oh yeah, maybe <laughs> yeah. we're spoiled. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a lot that can that can be done to change that. You know, obviously. Um, if you look at the success of Singapore, you know, which obviously has its problems as well, but the government were very joined up in their thinking and their action in driving that, you know, even down to working with the large corporates and getting, you know, everything aligned mm. to make that environment incredibly easy to start a business, get funding. Um, and because and Singapore's quite small, you tend to get a lot of them would look outside and, you know, natural kind of trading hub. Um, mentality, you know, they have other problems as well. Um, uh, you know, I'd say that Thai people are probably a bit more innovative than than you know other places in the region. I think it's the structures, sport, the education. Um, there, there, you know, there's some good accelerators here. There's some good co-working spaces, but it's for the size of the population. You know, it, it it's going the right way, but it, you know, it needs to everybody have on board structure. Yeah, it needs everyone on board. Yeah. yeah. What is your advice for a corporate here in Thailand, and what is your advice for a startup for right a now? Corporate here in Thailand. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, you know the game is on in Southeast Asia. You've got people like Grab and Gojek and others. You know, expanding out across and moving into different industries, and and so and then at the same time you've got the Chinese coming in mainly with their money the Tencent, the JDs, the, the Alibaba and others. And, and so no matter how comfortable and safe you think you are, you're not. And you need to really jump into digitization, but in a thoughtful way. And think about using this as an opportunity. So if all bets are off and anyone can enter anyone else's industry, then how can you do the same? And how can you get scale across Southeast Asia again? Um, and you know, focus on your number one asset, which is which is your staff. Uh, secondly, for startups, you know, I tell this story to startups. I, I first told this when I was in India, um, doing a talk over there. Um, you know, people. Uh, the question was something like, "Where do I start doing a startup?" Okay. So in India, every year there's a hundred thousand startups get formed. So a hundred thousand startups can build an app so they can show they have enough technical proficiency to build an app okay the nine out of ten startups fail and so we have a thousand uh, we have ten thousand startups then from the hundred thousand ten thousand didn't initially fail and they built something that customers used and liked yeah so they could prove they could build a good experience of those maybe ten ended up massively successful, you know, worth several hundred million or a billion dollars, yeah. They proved that they had a really powerful business model. And so the three things, business model, um, great experience that people love, and an app. Which of those three things do you think you should do first and get right? The business Pe model. Oh. Business. So why does everyone build an app first? <laughs> <laughs> you can see it. Yes. <laughs> it's something so tangible. Before you write a line of code, work out your business model. <laughs> and then just get a new one if it doesn't work. The, the thing I find people get too 
passionate, they build for them. Oh, because I've got this problem, then it'd be great if it would be solved. Then I build some code to solve it, and that's great. Without just, actually, you're not in the business of solving your problems. You're in the business of building a billion-dollar company. And so just keep trying business models and testing them out on paper, you know, first to get that thing and then incur cost by using, you know, building out your technology. Very good advice. And lastly, I'm sure a lot of people want to know about you. Uh, what's your next step? I mean, you've got your orangutans, you've got your your house yeah, in the jungle. The beach, yeah. What what lies for you in the so future? So there's, you know, kind of four problems. I've Well, there, there's... Well, there's three problems, and I've, I've done one of them now. So the three things I've been trying to solve is, one, is to build the world's most innovative bank, which that's kind of gone. So secondly, uh, I want to save Southeast Asia's land and sea animals. So my one property of the orangutans, another one looking after reefs, and that would be accelerating. I'm looking at building out an NGO uh, after I've you know, now done my foundation. And the third original one was I want to bring financial happiness to the world. And so banks you know, should be um, financially educating and, and helping people achieve what they need to live in, the, live in their life. But generally, banks tend to sell products to customers and make money. And so, Picture Wealth down in Australia, um, it took a couple of years to build. Um, we've been open for business just over six months, and we've gone from zero to $500 million of funds under management, uh, which is incredibly quick because we did the business model first. Um, so we want to scale that out um, across Southeast Asia and really it enables people to bring all of their finances into a single picture. Every single thing you have, and it's the only platform in the world that does that, and then we try and help you be better at that. Yeah, And obviously we sell you know, pensions and life insurance and other things. And then, so then I've got another project to swap out the world's most innovative bank. So that, let's tick that off. I think we can say that's a win. Um, is to uh, make corporate work life a better place. Yeah. So how do we, you know, turn it from a place where people don't like going to doing things that uninspire them with people that they really dislike, and turn that into a place where more people are enjoying what they do? Oh my goodness, you've got a lot to do. <laughs> right. and you've I done a lot as well. Yeah. You know, you're saving the orangutans, you're saving the sea, and you're saving us from the corporate... <laughs> corporate... <laughs> no, I might not achieve it. Corporate health. you just got to try, yeah? Okay. There's no point in going small with these things, I find. No point. Thank you so much for coming here. Thank you. I've really enjoyed it so far. Thank you. our talk with Neil Cross. From orangutans to helping innovation prosper in a corporate world, we hope you got something out of it. For more on innovative thoughts changing the world, go to texas.co or follow our podcast. Until next time, bye! Texas. Sparking innovative thoughts.